Now, very good morning to you. Stay with us because we will be dipping in and dipping out of uh, all of the crises that are out there. But thank you to uh, the team in Galway County Council and Galway City Council as well, Patrick Green, and indeed um, Mr. Pender there as well. Because it's uh, we'll keep once they keep us informed, Derek uh, Pender and, and uh, Patrick, we will keep uh, you fully informed as well. Now, the unfortunate people in Donegal that have been hit with this pyrite situation. Well, the European Parliament Petitions Commission, uh, Commission uh, and Committee have published its draft report on the, fa- the fact-finding to Donegal, which took place in October last. The report, which deals with um, concrete products, uh, will be discussed at the Petitions Commission uh, in Brussels on Tuesday, which is today, the 23rd indeed of January. And the report uh, deals with concrete products and all that goes with it. Let me uh, go right now, though, to Brussels and let me go straight uh, to MEP Luke Ming Flanagan, who joins me on the line. Uh, Luke, good morning to you. This is unfortunate for the people in question. Well, it's affected people in Donegal, Sligo, Mayo, Clare, and uh, as of yet, uh, no one in Galway. But I suppose one of the main things that we're trying to do here is to make sure that it never happens again. And the best way for that to happen is to have proper market surveillance. We have a regulation from the European Union on market surveillance, and the committee have come back now with a draft report saying that we've got to beef that up we've got to properly fund it and we've got to be proactive rather than reactive in other words we we've got to stop doing stuff when it goes wrong we've got to make sure it doesn't go wrong in the first place and many people will think oh this is a thing from the past it's from 10 years ago it's from 15 years ago and it is it's been going on that long but we have evidence that this possibly has happened again in Donegal in the last six months and uh, we've got to try and stop it and obviously the people who are currently affected we're trying to help them as well and you will listen to the radio and you'll hear it on RTE the, the government will say that the defective block scheme is very effective and everyone gets all their money back. The European Parliament draft report now says otherwise and says that it is imperative that it covers all costs, including foundations, etc. Because at the moment, they are pouring taxpayers' money into rebuilding people's houses and they are not allowing for a new foundation, meaning it could all fall apart again down the line. How did this come about and who dropped the ball and why were the standards so low that this was allowed to happen to put families through what they're going through right now? Well, uh, that is one of the recommendations of the report, that there has to be a national inquiry into it and that um, while obviously the taxpayer is going to have to foot some of this bill, which is unfortunate, but that the people who are responsible, that they basically pay the bill. But the real culprit here is we have had massive deregulation. We used to have clerk of works that would call out to make sure stuff was done. Now it's all self-certified. And we have a market surveillance board, which... The head of has come out publicly in the last months and said that there is a crisis when it comes to funding. And now the parliament are saying that basically you've got to do this. And look, we have regulations that come from Europe. I've been talking to you about them before, the Habitats Directive. And we were drawn, dragged over the coals on cut and turf, etc. We were told by government representatives, sure, look, we signed up to this and we've got to stick to European law. Well, we signed up to a market surveillance regulation as well. We have not followed through on it and the shoe is on the other foot now. So if the Irish government 
when they, hopefully this will pass the committee, which it most likely will, go through the Parliament. It will then be the official position of the European Parliament that uh, the state has dropped the ball and it will provide evidence for infringement proceedings, if necessarily, against the state. And it would also uh, provide excellent evidence if anyone wants to take, a, take a, a court case on this issue. And I understand there is one forthcoming. Obviously, I don't want to talk about the details. And can I ask you, is it because the the ingredients in the blocks in question was suspect that this has all happened? And if so, why would such ingredients have been put into the making of these blocks uh, without it being tested and ensured that they would last for a lifetime? Well, the reason why is because we we the, re- the reason why is because we have not funded that area of uh, of Irish regulation. It is seriously underfunded. They don't have enough staff, and there isn't a, isn't enough money put into it. So we basically weren't watching out for it. That is the reason uh, why it's happened. And to me, it's very very clear. But the manufacturers of the products in question were they making more money out of it because of again the ingredients are the wrong of the composition of the block. Well, they're all great questions and they are questions that we're looking for answers for and that's the reason why they're calling for a proper national inquiry into it because this is going to cost billions and it's going to come from you and me and it's going to come from the pockets of people whose houses are affected as well. But if we're going to spend in taxpayers' money, we've got to find out why this happened in the first place, see how much of it we can reclaim from some of these companies and I'll say it again, make sure that it never happens again. And while it hasn't happened in Galway and it hasn't happened in Roscommon, there is absolutely no reason why it can't happen if you're not looking out for it in the first place. It's like if you weren't monitoring the ingredients that was going into bread and uh, all manner of stuff was going into it. You try and you do something about it and you change it. At the moment, we're not monitoring it. We have a deregulated system which makes it very convenient uh, for some people, but for the individual house owner at the end of the day, it's turned out to be a total and utter disaster. Like the report talks about the mental, the financial and the health consequences of this. People are suffering from depression. They're they're severely down uh, because of it. And look, we, we were talking about this for a long time. It was about three years ago that they came to me at first and I suggested they use the petitions committee. And for anyone who's listening, if you feel that there's a European law that we voted for and the doll said we go ahead and we transpose it. If you feel that it's not been properly used, you can go to the petitions committee and you can make an argument that EU legislation isn't being properly implemented. And that's what's happened now. And while, look, at, I am sceptical about Europe in many ways, in particular when it comes to defence and on a few other issues, I have to say on this one, I'd be far more sceptical of our own department. But um, we'll be discussing this at the committee tomorrow. Um, uh, and I, I have to say, um, Dolores Montserrat, she's an MEP uh, from the same group as Fine Gael and when she was uh, chairing it and when she was writing this report, I was doubtful as to whether it would uh, they, she'd come across political lines. Well I have to say she deserves 100% praise because she pulled no punches in, in this report and I have to say it's a compliment uh, in that people were put before politics on this one for a change. Well, it's the way it should be. Can I ask you for a little go? The uh, European elections are coming up, so they're in June of uh, this year. Um, are you going to put your name forward? 
I am, yeah. I'm, uh, I am. I, I have to say, when I ran in the European elections at first, I, my goal was uh, maybe to highlight a few things, make a bit of noise about stuff. But I have to say, I am shocked and I am surprised at um, how effective they have allowed to, me to be uh, from a legislative point of view, whether that be um, uh, the convergence of farm payments, meaning tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, have moved across the Shannon and to Donegal, or whether it be this issue. I have to say, I've been surprised. They're a lot more cooperative than they are in the Dáil, if you're an independent. So um, I have a lot of work left to do. I have to get this mic at things sorted and also um, to finish the job when it comes to reform of the common agricultural policy so that people on small farms in Galway get the same amount of money as they do on large farms in the Golden Vale. It's going to, could be a fairly crowded field I, I, but I know the whole situation has changed as well but uh, there's going to be quite a few people running so there is. Well, um, it will show you how politics has changed in that in a five-seater, Fianna Fáil are only running one candidate uh, and they have told them get their act together and pick one candidate. So um, uh, it's uh, it, there'll only be one of them. There'll be two Sinn Féin, there'll be two Fine Gael and um, I'm sure there'll be a scatter of independence. But uh, I've been at this for a while. Uh, I ran in 1999 for the first time. So um, I've lots of experience at it. Um, I understand what the job is about uh, more than I I ever thought I possibly could so um, uh, I think I think I'd serve the people well if I got elected again but that's up to them uh, so far they've been very loyal to me we'll see what happens MEP Luke Ming Flanagan thank you for joining us uh, this morning on the programme thank you Kate thanks very much all right, good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. The comment lines are open if you want to get through to us uh, today on 091-770-077 should you want to get through to us uh, today. Now, though, let me move on today because we can be talking all we want uh, when it comes to refugees coming into this country and not coming in and going to Ballyban and not going to Ballyban. And with Trokra, and uh, we've travelled with them many, many years ago, but um, the work that they do on an ongoing basis is absolutely quite amazing, so it is. And they've come up with a very strong statement this morning and they're calling on the government to support calls for a ceasefire uh, on this. And the person calling for this is Quiva de Barry and she is the CEO of Throkra and uh, she joins me on the line uh, today. And she uh, joins me on the line. Quiva, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good, thanks for joining us uh, today. I mean... I scratch my head and I'm not taking either side and, I'm, and neither are you and you've, you know an awful lot more about this than I do because you spent a lot of time in and around Gaza. Yes, that's correct. So over the last number of years, maybe 10, 12 years or so, I have made several visits to Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Throkra works there and has worked there for, for almost two decades now. We work with both Israeli and Palestinian human rights organizations and humanitarian organizations. And we are just appalled really at what we're witnessing unfolding in Gaza. It has never been worse. In fact, the world has never seen a humanitarian disaster unfold as quickly or have as great an impact on an, on an entire population. The UN just over the weekend said that not only are one in four people in northern Gaza facing an immediate risk of starvation, but the entire population of 2.2 million people 
are in imminent danger of facing famine. We have never seen such an explosion of extreme hunger in less than four months. And of course, the deaths, the destruction, they're just devastating. More than 25,000 people dead. But at a very human level, when you hear that every day, 10 children have one or two legs amputated, you know, the real impact on human beings, individuals, can't fail but to hit home. We are very, very cognizant of what is happening as well for the population of Israel. And of course, the appalling acts by Hamas and Islamic Jihad are war crimes. They must be held to account for those. But as horrific as those attacks were, they cannot be used for as an ongoing justification for the level of destruction of civilian property and life that we're seeing now. But these are human beings. These are people who have had families. These are children of people. Like we, we, had a, we had a wonderful guest on yesterday morning and uh, she's working in Ireland for 15 years. She's, she's an educator uh, working with the GRETB here in Galway. Um, and, and she was with it and she was so upset because all she wants to do is get her mother out of there. Her, uh, her mother has lost 28 of her family um, have all have all died because of what's going on in Gaza. She wants to get her mother out, she wants to get her brother out, his wife and the three children and try and get them a new start in life. The woman is heartbroken. And it's just unbelievable that her case is so far from unique um, out of a population because Gaza is so small and the bombardment has been so heavy and absolutely relentless that everybody has a similar story of the loss of many, many extended family members, the loss of their houses. Almost 70% of the housing stock and other civilian buildings have been either completely or partially destroyed. There is not a school left in Gaza that has not been fully or partially destroyed. So the impact of this, I have two colleagues who are in Rafa in southern Gaza, and every day, every day, I wake up thinking, I wonder, are they still okay? It yeah. is simply horrific. And, and the guest yesterday said, and she was just a wonderful person, um, but she said that she dreads getting the call. And if she sees a number coming up from Gaza, she says, is everything okay? Is everyone alive? And she said she's living 24 hours a day, seven days a week doing that. And the stress of that is beyond imagination. It, it, we, we can hardly imagine it here in this context, waiting for a call 24 hours a day and the stress of that. But the stress, I was in Gaza just a year and a half ago. So and that was a year following the previous war, which was a war that lasted far less time and was nowhere near as intense. But in speaking with any single person in Gaza, you can see the residual stress in their eyes. You could see it before this current war. The psychological impact on every human being, but particularly children in Gaza, you just cannot overstate it. Throkra works with two organizations that do psychosocial care and trauma care, primarily with children, but also with women who are um, survivors of violence and, and domestic abuse. And even prior to this, the effect of the blockade, 16 years of not being able to leave, not being able to move around, being almost entirely, like most of the population was entirely reliant on external humanitarian assistance. This psychological effect of that had already had a devastating impact on the people yeah. of Gaza. How do people recover? 2.2 million people, their homeland destroyed. So it is for these reasons that Trokra, we're a humanitarian organization, we're trying to respond to these needs, but the response is almost 
almost impossible. It is very, very difficult to get access to Gaza with the medical supplies that people require with the food, safe water, etc. And once in Gaza, the, the truck convoys are finding it very difficult to circulate. In early January, the UN reported that four out of five of its requests for humanitarian aid convoys to go to northern Gaza were denied by Israel. And that some of those convoys that were allowed to go up were attacked on their way back down to Rafa. So the entire environment is completely unsafe and it is clear that there are violations of international humanitarian law happening all the time. Under international humanitarian law and under the law that governs wars, because there is such a thing, the warring parties have to protect civilians. So there cannot be any disproportionate impact on civilians. So, for example, you cannot target civilian infrastructure if they rely on that infrastructure to survive. Okay. You cannot cut off food and fuel lines if civilians rely on those to survive. But who's policing that, Cuiva de Barra? Well, the, the issue is that the international system, and this is why Troker is coming out today, there is an international rules-based system based on humanitarian law and the Geneva Conventions that yeah. were written down after the Second World War. One of the important conventions that was issued just after the Second World War was the Genocide Convention of 1948. And Ireland is a signatory to that Genocide Convention. And what it says, because genocide is arguably the most severe, one of the most severe of all war crimes. It says that any state that is party to the Genocide Convention, such as Ireland, has a legal obligation to do everything in its power to prevent genocide or the risk of genocide. So we believe that Ireland, which has been very strong and taken a good leadership role in recent months in calling for a ceasefire, we believe that while that is very, very important, it's no longer enough. Okay. Now is the time for greater measures to be taken. So we're calling on the Irish government to first of all conduct its own detailed assessment of whether there is a risk that genocide is being committed in Gaza. And secondly, to issue a public statement in support of South Africa's case against Israel, arguing that it is valid to use these international mechanisms that defend international humanitarian law at times when there could be a risk of genocide. It is not proven and it won't be proven until the work is done by the International Court of Justice looking into that substantive case should it decide that there is a risk that needs investigating. But because we have this legal obligation under the Genocide Convention, we believe that Ireland needs to go even further than it already has okay. gone and support the very fact that this court exists to investigate such potential crimes. Can, can you simplify for me? I know what it is. What's the true definition of genocide? So genocide is a situation where there is an intent, and that's the important part, where there's an intent to destroy either in its entirety or in part groups of people um, groups of people in terms of people who share a common identity. Yes. So maybe an intent to destroy people on the grounds of a national identity, of their racial identity, or their ethnic or religious identity. So genocide means that there is this intent to destroy a group of people. So that is what South Africa is saying to the International Court of Justice. We believe that there is potential evidence that there is a risk of genocide and we want you to investigate this. Okay. And that's what the International Court of Justice has been asked to do. But again, Quiva de Barry, CEO of Trocra, I mean, it, from listening to everything, which I do intently on a daily basis, and one said you have, you have Hamas and they've got, they've got hostages belonging to Israel. Uh, Hamas have, have put forward a, um, a suggestion or indeed a proposal when it comes to um, having a ceasefire 
Israel have come back and said no and they want the hostages. I mean, you're talking about there's, there's two highly charged groups there and in the middle then you've got these unfortunate people that are innocent and are dying. And, and that is precisely why international humanitarian law and the laws that govern conflict exist. They exist because in any situation of war, you have this hypercharged situation where you have one or more groups um, in opposition to one another engaged in violent conflict, each with the determination to achieve its own military objectives. And international humanitarian law says that wars will happen but the conduct of war has to be done in such a way that innocent civilians are protected. And at the moment, what we are seeing is that the civilians in Gaza are being killed in a way which is unparalleled. The Israeli military is killing an average of 250 Palestinians per day in Gaza. And that is a higher daily death rate than in any other 21st century armed conflict. There are hostages who have now been in Gaza um, since the 7th of October. Their rights have been completely violated. So calling for a ceasefire, calling for humanitarian access, calling for release of hostages, these are all absolutely protected by international law and both sides need to adhere to them. If you had a crystal ball, Quiva, how do you think this is going to pan out and when will reality kick in? It's, it's very hard to say. I, I guess the problem is nobody has a crystal ball, but the situation is certainly not improving. In fact, it's getting worse for the people of Gaza in particular, and it's not improving for others in the around, in surrounding in the country, um, in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory, or in the surrounding region. That is why we believe that Ireland, as a small but important nation amongst the community of nations, must do everything that it can, both to continue to press for a ceasefire and humanitarian action, um, but also to ensure that is a, there is accountability and to use every avenue possible for accountability for the violation of humanitarian law and to ensure that people like that, that the lady whose mum is in Gaza, I mean, people deserve protection. Everybody is a mother, father, yeah. daughter, son, brother, sister, cousin, um, keeping people at the forefront of our minds and doing everything possible to secure a cessation of hostilities and then ultimately accountability for all crimes committed. That's what's important. Quiva Dabari, Dabari indeed, CEO of keep up the good work. And again, if you need funds, if anybody is in a position to fund, just go to the Throker website and get further details and make a donation if you can, because you do need the money. Uh, to try and get it on the ground there. Keep up the good work and thanks to yourself and your colleagues for the work that you do on an ongoing basis. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. Um, uh, some of the comments communicated a pull down in Clarence Bridge and the Mary Road potential danger from there. Another caller said to us, due to the orange storm war- warning, um, Banlaslow GA weekly bingo in the Emerald Ballroom is cancelled tonight. We'll be back again next week and that came from Jerry Seal, club secretary from there. Uh, severe crosswinds, Keith, on the M18. Borderline dangerous driving conditions. So says Tony. And another caller said, Morning, Keith, I think we should have, be in orange right now. Uh, serious gusts of wind now on the N17. There's an awful amount of water on the road as well. And uh, somebody else said to us, Pyrite in concrete foundations. Uh, impossible as it's bound material, this caller said. What does that mean, bound? Bound material? And uh, other calls coming to us. A quick commercial break. We're back. We've two guests before between now and eleven o'clock. 
Oh, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. We are going to go to Garda Coach Nikulon who joins us. Goldberg Garda, you're looking for your assistance. And Garda Nikulon joins you on the line. Coach, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. How are you? Good, thanks. To, good to talk to you again. Now, we're looking at the theft of um, bicycles, so we are. And uh, you're going to the Renmore area for the first one. That's right, yeah. So um, between 1.30pm on Tuesday the 16th and 12.30pm on Wednesday the 17th of January, a black bike was reported um, taken from the rack outside of Active Fitness at the Connacht Hotel. Um, so anyone who may have witnessed this or anyone who might have any information that might help us, we're asking them to contact Galway Gordy on 0915380000. Now you're heading to Ballybrit for the next um, theft of a cycle. Yeah, so another um, another theft of a pedal cycle there on the Tuesday the 16th of January between 12.30pm and 1.45pm. A red Carrera mountain bike was stolen from outside DXC Technologies on the Ballybridge Business Park. So anyone who might have witnessed this incident, we're asking them that they might contact us at the guard station as well on 538000. Um, and just to be aware, if anyone was offered this item for sale as well, just to contact us and let us know. It's a very distinctive um, bike, the career rest. So if you did, please 538000 and don't buy something from somebody. Now we're looking at criminal damage, so we are guard the caution cool on. And uh, we're in the city centre for this one. Yeah, that's right. So on Sunday, the 21st of January, between 2.30am and 3.30am, a window was smashed on a business premises um, window at Williamsgate Street in Galway City Centre. So anyone who might have witnessed this damage being caused or anyone with information, we're asking them to please contact Galway Guard the station on 0915380000. Now you're going to sell till for the next criminal damage here. Yeah, so um, this was on Friday, the 19th of January. Um, a 131 Dublin Reg Black Toyota Prius was parked in um, Le Salton in Lower Salt Hill. So um, while the car was parked up, the front window was smashed um, at approximately 7.45 p.m. So anyone who might have witnessed this or anyone with any information, we're asking them to contact Galway Guard Station on 0915380000. Now we're looking at thefts from vehicles at this stage and you're going to borrow more for the first one there. Yes, so between 5pm on Saturday the 20th and 10am on Monday the 22nd of January, uh, 12 Dublin Reg White Jaguar was broken into in the car park of Tonery's Bar on Bohemore. Um, during the during this um, incident, an Apple MacBook was stolen from the vehicle. So anyone who might have witnessed this incident or anyone who might have been offered this item for sale, again, we're asking them to contact um, Galway Garda Station on 0915380000. Now you're going a little bit further up the road for the next theft indeed uh, from a, a vehicle. That's right, just a bit up the road. Um, on Thursday the 18th of January between 5.30pm and 8pm uh, a red Ford Focus registration 182 was broken into while parked in the Kurchoiga complex on Bohar Moor. So um, in this incident the front passenger side window was smashed and a wallet was subsequently taken. So anyone who might have witnessed this or any suspicious activity in the area we're just asking them to contact Goldig or the again for any information. Now we're looking at burglary and uh, this one took place in Merlin Park Hospital so you have full details of that. Yeah, so just the other day, um, just before midnight on Saturday the 20th at 1am and Sunday the 21st of January, uh, two containers were broken into on a building site on the grounds of Merlin Park Hospital. So during the course of this break-in, a large quantity of copper cable was taken. Um, it's possible that the cable was 
moved through fields and out onto the old Dublin Road. So Gordy, you're appealing for anyone who may have been in the area who might have witnessed this or any suspicious vehicles maybe or any persons acting in a suspicious manner harassment, please contact Gordy to help progress this investigation. Um, also, any persons who might have been in the area who might have dash cam footage also harassment, please make contact to the guards and we can um, hopefully help progress this investigation. And just also again to be aware if any people are um, offering this item or any other items for sale just to be to be um to be aware that it may be stolen property and to ask um just to forward information to guard the Jerfahi at Galway Guard the station on um actually he's in Salt Hill so that's on only one five one four seven two oh or indeed we yeah, that's o- 091. I seem to have lost uh, guard the coach, uh, Nicola. Uh, so 091 Coach, are you gone, Amir? Are you still there? No, just seemed to have lost her there. Well, we were nearly finished anyway. Uh, thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Guard the coach, Nicola. And unfortunately, we just lost her there, so we did all together. Uh, but um, we will, um, yeah, we were just up to date. If anybody saw anything about that, uh, the last one there indeed. Uh, that burglary indeed in Merlin Park, 514720. Uh, again, for further details on the crew uh, in Salt Hill, we'll be delighted uh, to take the information uh, from you from there. Now, though, let me just uh, move to Met Erin at this stage because I want to go to uh, Aoife Keeley, who joins me on the line from uh, Met Erin because she is the one that has all the information for us today as to what's going to happen when, where, and how. And I'm just waiting to get through to her. And Aoife joins me on the line. Now, Aoife, good morning to you. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks for joining us uh, today. It's been wild in Galway City and County indeed since about half five this morning and the worst is yet to come, Aoife. It is indeed, yeah. The winds are definitely going to pick up now as morning and afternoon goes on um, and particularly towards this evening. So we're going to see Storm Jocelyn kind of past uh, the northwest of the country. Um, now, it's, it's not going to be just as intense as Storm Isha, but even still... Uh, you're going to be seeing very strong southwesterly winds and severe and damaging gusts, you know, especially in coastal areas. And the rain is coming down fairly heavy as well. Yes, yeah. So it, it will, for the next wee while, it will, uh, there will be a wee bit more rain on the way. Now, the only thing with that is uh, the rain will kind of clear through as the afternoon goes on. So you'll be kind of clearing up to maybe a few showers and some brighter spells. But again, like I said, the, the wind is just going to continue to pick up as the day goes on. So critically then, it, it again, from five o'clock to roughly what time do we have to batten down the hatches? And at what stage can we take a breath and say, OK, we're over this one? Well, so the worst of the winds will have passed through by about midnight tonight. But saying that it is still going to stay very windy for a lot of the night, really up until maybe two or three o'clock tonight. So, you know, it won't be completely out of the woods yet. Anything that is, you know, maybe already weakened from storm, Isha will still um, take a bit of a beating throughout the evening and overnight. Um, But by tomorrow, there will be an improvement. The winds will gradually ease, uh, we'll say tomorrow morning and through tomorrow during the day. um, And it'll be a brighter day overall. So there will be a a bit of respite tomorrow. Again, just is, is it going to be? Will Galway get the hammering that we're talking about, or is it is it a little bit further up? Because I know that it was kind of the northwest that really we, we took the brunt, mind you, on Sunday. Uh, but the northwest also took a bit of a brunt. 
Yes, yes. So, look, it, it will, Galway is, of course, in that, that orange warning from 5pm today. Um, so there will be very strong and gusty southwest to west winds. Now, there will be inland areas where the winds may not just be as strong. The worst of the winds will be in coastal areas. Um, you know, there will be um, coastal gales and, and strong gales. So, you know, the, the big thing will be to avoid coasts, um, if possible, for, for the time of the peak winds. Um, but, you know, even even in those inland areas, the winds will still be very strong. And, and even before the orange warning comes into effect, we'll say if people are out, maybe collecting kids from school or anything, um, it, you know, there is still that yellow wind warning in place um, at the moment. So that's going to that's going to be um, some very strong winds throughout the day. And Aoife, can we bid them farewell then and say thank you very much? Just go away until next year. Thank you. <laughs> just pack um, your bags, uh, please, Jocelyn, and just just hump off. Leave it at that. Um, no, look, it's it is going to be like I said. There will be a brief respite tomorrow. Now there'll be kind of some more breezy conditions on Thursday. A bit more rain at times too, but um, we're not looking at anything as severe for the rest of the week really um, at the moment. Now saying that there's still a bit of winter left, so you know we'll always have to to keep an eye and and see what's coming. But uh, for the time being, it looks like we're we're kind of finishing up with this storm for for the next few days anyway. Finally, can I ask you, if, um, again, maybe it's out of your question, but, you know, as it, as, as it comes and that, you know, if there's big buildings and there's trees and there's foliage and all that, does it slow it down or is it the same right across the county, whether you've got trees, buildings and or otherwise, does it, does it keep at that same intensity as it moves inland? No, so that's the thing. Like usually what you'd see as winds like this move inland, the friction from the surface. So if that's trees or mountains or anything, usually that friction does slow the winds down a little bit. And that's often why you'd see the worst winds at the coast. Um, you know, so when you do see those, we'll say marine gale warnings out, yeah, yeah. you know, they, they can really drive in against the coast. But very quickly as you move inland, the sting can be taken out of those winds. But like a system like this, any sort of storm, um, they can be quite quite intense, quite active. So um, it has a better chance of driving the, the very strong winds inland. Aoife, well done to you. Thanks for joining us. Aoife Keely from Metairn joining us <laughs> uh, today. Much. And uh, have a good and a safe day yourself. But thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Aoife Keely there joining us on the line. Now, though, I want to change subjects again. I want to move uh, to another subject matter altogether. And uh, I'm joined on the line indeed by Deputy Dennis Nocton, who joins me on uh, the line. Uh, Dennis, morning to you. Hello. Can you hear me all right there, Dennis? I can now, yeah. Sorry, yeah, please, yeah. yeah. You're all right. Um, I know you want to start out uh, today by uh, paying a tribute indeed to a man that you soldiered with whose funeral is taking place uh, this evening. Yes, that's right. Look, I'd just like to pay a tribute to my neighbour across the, the river, uh, Tom Hussey. I served with him for only a, a short period of time in the late 1990s. But I always found him as someone who fought passionately uh, for those of whom that he represented. I know that he was uh, a good friend of my own late father, uh, Lean. Uh, and he was always someone who I found to be very good humoured and he was an exemplary public representative. So to his wife, Bridie, and to his family, I just want to extend uh, my sympathy 
And we all agree with you there, so we do an absolute, any interaction I had with him was just a total gentleman, a a real gentleman altogether. Just I wanted to talk to you because, I mean, you are the former Minister for Communications and it's been suggested by the current Minister uh, that a levy on the broadband providers and mobile phone providers to fund public service broadcasting rather than the licence fee is the way to go. Can you see this happening? Well, look, first of all, Keith, can I just apologise? I'm here in Houston Station after arriving in Dublin, so there might be a bit of interference in the background. But I I think that the TV licence money uh, must, first of all, be extended to cover public service news and broadcasting services of the local media, not just uh, the national media and RTE. And just to give you a practical example of that, John Mulligan last uh, Sunday evening stayed on broadcasting late into the evening uh, to update listeners in relation to Storm Isha. Now, that wouldn't happen, you know, if it weren't for the dedication of local radio stations around the country. And I think that needs to be acknowledged and supported through funding from the TV licence. Now, I don't believe that the taxpayer should pay uh, RT or that the government should pay RT because if that happens, then the government of the day will have control over the media indirectly, but it's a dangerous avenue to go down. I also think that everyone needs to pay for for news content uh, because everyone uses it and everyone should pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I think we could reduce the cost of the TV licence to €100, Euro because at the moment there's about 15% of people that are not paying the TV licence. There's 15% uh, of people that don't have a TV, and there's a 5% collection uh, cost paid to on post. So while charging through broadband subscriptions wouldn't be my first choice, I think if Serview was extended to all broadband customers and access to all the local radio stations was available online and on our televisions, I think it is then worth considering it because the one advantage with going down this particular route is that at present the Department of Social Welfare does pay a telephone allowance and that could be extended to ensure that everyone over 70 who currently gets a free TV licence could get the equivalent uh, through the telephone allowance uh, into the future to ensure that they still have effectively a free TV. Yeah. So, I mean, again, just going back to it, I mean, it's a slow process. And yeah, you know that there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes, indeed, for all public service broadcasters. And I mean, and it's been acknowledged, indeed, in Dolly by yourself and by Kieran Cannon and others, indeed, uh, that independent radio should be included. But how do you get this over the line? That's the big question, I suppose. Well, look, we did a considerable amount of work on this when I was minister to actually get this over the line. A lot of the heavy lifting uh, had been done. The difficulty was that when I left office, uh, this issue uh, was was part of that stage. As you know, last year we tried to get it uh, moved along with um, Minister Catherine Martin. I always felt that we needed to move away from uh, the TV licence to some sort of of a universal uh, charge because uh, of the fact that, you know, 35% of the money that should be coming in wasn't coming in. We could significantly reduce uh, the cost of the TV licence. We could ensure that 
broadcasters and the local print media could be supported as well with this. And I think there is an opportunity now to do a radical reform uh, of it, uh, to look at it going through uh, the broadband providers, because it is a way to ensure that everyone pays it, everyone does use it, whether they acknowledge it or not, they do use it at the moment, but it's also a way to ensure that those people that are entitled to the free TV licence up to now continue to receive that. And timescale-wise, do you reckon when will, when, because I mean, RTE, we know what's going on with RTE and it's, God love them, it's, it's Kevin Backhurst has, has, a, has a hurdle to, to get over financially and otherwise, uh, but money will start, have to start flowing into RTE because they need to pay the bills as well. Yes, RT do need to, to, to pay the bills and it is important that we have strong, credible uh, national uh, news outlets in this country. That is vitally important in any democracy uh, that we have that. And I know it's not part of the debate at the moment, it's not part of uh, the narrative that's going on, but it is important in a democracy that we do have access to free and fair uh, media. And I think that's something that we can never forget uh, in relation to this. It does need to be supported in the short term by the government. It will be the new government that will uh, have to probably introduce this legislation, but the decisions could be make, made now. The legislation could be drafted and the new government after the election could then enact this new law. And will you miss it not being there next time round? You've decided not to contest. Of course, I will miss uh, some of the cut and thrust uh, of politics. But look, next week I'll have been 28, my 27th anniversary will take place on the 28th of January. Uh, so look, I've given over half my life uh, to politics. Uh, I'm still a, a relatively young man, Keith. I'd like to try my hand at different things. And now is the opportunity to do that. Well, enjoy doing it and thanks for joining us uh, today live from Houston Station and thanks to um, Deputy Dennis Doctor for joining us uh, there. And uh, this caller has been on to us here, by the way, today. I do, I'm going to have to just go through it. Um, I just need to... I'll go through it during the news. And somebody else said, are the 15% chased for not paying the licence fee? It's not fair on the rest of us that are paying it uh, from there. Uh, Keith, can you please remind people there is... Excuse me. There is a pole down in Clearnbridge on the Mary Road. Again, we're urging people not to go to sort this out yourself. Just call the council and get them there. Get your local councillor to call the council and get um, the, the Derek Pender and the crew and the, the underground crew to get out there. Don't try and sort it yourself. Uh, is there any, any other issues out there? Would you mind texting us or calling us here, please, on 091-770-077 and let us know from there. We can be your voice, so just if there's a legitimate problem with trees down or poles down or wires down or otherwise, uh, you can call us and we can pass them on then to the relevant authority. Now that let's head towards the Galway BFM News Desk for the 11 o'clock news and death notices. And we're back and uh, we have loads more between now and midday.